Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. That is found on page 1043 in the Pew Bibles. Again, Philippians chapter 2, first four verses. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you also. We are thankful uh, to have the opportunity to come together and worship every week come together for Bible classes. Uh, when we come together, obviously, one of the things that we regularly do is pray. But we want to take some time this coming Sunday morning in Bible classes to spend an extended period of time in prayer. We look forward to that. And a part of that, we'll pray for every member by name, and we will pray for every request that is turned in, and we'll pray for every ministry. And so if you're uh, here and you're a guest and you would like for us to pray for you next week, we would be honored to do that. And uh, you can drop in just a note of what you would like for us to pray about in the information center there in the back. Uh, there also is a box of, of uh, requests. If you want only the elders to know of that request and be praying about that, they're the only ones that will be uh, seeing those and praying about those. Or if it's something that uh, you'd like a Bible class to be praying for you about, you can drop that in the other. Uh, also keep in mind, since every name is going to be prayed for in this congregation, it'd be really great if we knew what you wanted us to pray about. And so please be sure and submit prayer requests. There are forms that will be passed out in all the Bible classes today, but you, it doesn't have to be an official form. You can just jot a note, send an email, uh, give it to your elder that, that's in your class, or give it to one of us, and we'll be glad to make sure it gets to where it needs to be gotten, ultimately to be prayed to God. Uh, we'll be thinking over the next couple of weeks about how tightly interwoven the idea of humility and a strong prayer life really are. Also, we're thankful uh, for all that serve in whatever capacities and ways that God gives you. And when we look in our uh, past and even our present, there are many among us that are veterans. And we are grateful for what you've done for uh, serving our country. And we would love to honor you this coming Wednesday. We have sent out, uh, as a church family, we have sent out postcards to all the residents in 37122. And already we've had uh, several calls to come in from people in the community that uh, have received that invitation and they want to join us uh, as veterans also on that morning, that breakfast. And uh, so if you're a veteran, please uh, join us. And then also while you're there, uh, be looking around from others from the community uh, that we can warmly welcome. Also, we're thankful to have the opportunity to help encourage 
preachers and their families uh, in Latin America with helping them purchase a special holiday meal. And generally what most of them do, because they're in smaller congregations, they purchase the meal and then they have a church fellowship with it. And so it's a wonderful, wonderful source of encouragement to them. You can pick out whatever family that you want to help uh, and on the board in the back in the foyer. You'll see a, this board is a picture of it. It's out there and you can pull a name off there, give $50. Uh, you can do that individually or get with a few uh, other individuals or families. And if you'd like to write a note of encouragement to them, uh, to uh, thank them for the work that they do and encourage them to keep on in 2016. And if you'd like to put in a picture of yourselves, they love to see who is sending this. It's wonderful all the opportunities that God gives us. Last Sunday, as we studied about humility, it's interesting that at least two, if not three different individuals came up to me and said, you know, I just couldn't help but think about the old Mac Davis song. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Just can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking each day. You know, if you remember that song, there's just line after line in that song that proves that he's not humble. But the interesting message is, he's saying, I'm humble. Oh, it's hard, but I'm doing it. And then yet line after line is, no, you're not really humble. And I couldn't help but think of that and think of the challenge that we all have. You know, it's one thing to be able to say, I'm really wanting to be humble. I'm really working on being humble. But you know, this month is a good opportunity for us to go a little bit deeper in some of the scriptures about humility and then really give a, an honest evaluation of ourself. Not just would you say you want to be humble, but are you humble? As we mentioned last week, typically out in the community, we're not going to see humility lifted up. We're not going to see talk shows say, let's have some special segments about how to grow in humility. We're not going to go to Books a Million and find a self-help section where how to be humble is going to be promoted. But yet as Christians, we, because we have learned from God to truly love humility. Isn't that interesting that you and I this morning are literally, we, we love and, and, and we deeply want to accomplish this trait that most people around us don't really think about that much. They don't love it. It's not something that they aspire to accomplish and, and more than just accomplish, but to become. And so when we, we think about this humility today as we study again, kind of like we did last week where we studied one text and then came over to Philippians 2, kind of the end. That's what we're going to do again. You notice this morning we read the verses prior in Philippians 2. Last week we read 5, 6, 7, and 8. This week we'll come back and we'll read verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. But I want us to begin in Philippians, the fourth chapter this morning and spend a good part of our time there in, in Philippians, the fourth chapter. As we do this, I want you to just have fresh in your mind 
And, and I want it to be kind of the, the backdrop and the foundation, but then even the, the threads that flow through this lesson this morning. I'd like for you to be thinking about three words, and, and it's not going to be like it's point one, point two, point three. These words aren't going to be that, but I want you to notice that they're intertwined in everything that we're studying. After studying these texts, here are the three words that I think if we could grasp these and see where they fit into God's teaching this morning, it'd do us all some good. Number one, humility. Just be looking for the words and the teachings about humility. Number two, be looking for the word or the descriptions of harmony. Number three, be looking for the idea of stability. Stability. Have you ever thought about those three being interlinked? Humility, harmony, and stability. Have you ever had to say something that's pretty hard to say to somebody? And have you noticed that when Paul has to do that, oftentimes one of the places that he begins is by reminding them how much he loves them? Now, I, I, I don't want to speak for Paul, and so I'm just giving you very much my opinion I believe that if you could ask Paul, hey, tell me the churches that you helped establish and that you worked with that you just love the most. I believe that if he was going to list the top maybe three churches that, that he worked with that he just loved working with the most, I believe probably the church at Philippi would be one of the top churches. And so I'm, I'm, not, I'm telling you that to say, I don't think what we're about to see that he's gushing over them and he doesn't mean it. I think he really means it. I think from the depth of his being, he means it. But right after he gushes and tells them how much he loves them, <laughs> he's about to give them a pretty strong rebuke. At least a couple of them there. He's really going to call them on the carpet. And so first, let's begin with, with this affectionate part of the rebuke. Look with me in the fourth chapter in verse 1. And let's, let's start out by just reading verse 1. Therefore, my beloved, notice, notice these words, these descriptions. Therefore, my beloved, and longed for brethren my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Beloved is, is a very strong word of, of love, of endearment. It's to say that someone is dear to you. And, and then notice, he didn't just say, you are, my, or, you are beloved. He says, you are my beloved. Now that makes it very personal. In other words, now we can't help but think about the word intimacy. Paul, he's not holding back. He's saying, look, you're dear. Oh, and you're not just dear to everybody. You're dear to me. When I think about people that are my beloved, I think about you guys. Now, then he uses long for. That's the idea of yearning. I'm not right there present with you. That's why he's writing a letter. He's in prison. And he's writing a letter. And you know what? When you love someone dearly and you're not with them, what do you do? You yearn for them. Listen, you're my beloved and I long for you. And then he's about to tell them some things that maybe they could have summarized from that. Wow, Paul's kind of given up on us. We, we're, we're kind of making his life miserable now. So before he even gets into it, what does he throw out? You're my joy. I love you guys. I love being around you. Remember the Macedonia call? That's how the church of Philippi, Acts the 16th chapter, that's how the church was started. 
He loved receiving that Macedonia call. It brought joy into his life. And having a, a relationship with them from the first day of the gospel, even to now, it has brought a lot of joy into his life. And so I think he's, he's trying to say, I'm about to say some pretty tough things to you, but I don't want you to think that I've given up on you. I don't want you to think that, that, that you make me miserable. This just needs to be handled. But I want you to know right now, you're my joy. And I think that joy has a lot to do with spiritual joy that he's talking about there. And perhaps he does mean to some degree the emotion of joy, but definitely that deep spiritual joy. Who are they? They are children of God, and he is so thankful. It brings joy into his life that they share together as children of God. But then notice that next thing he said. You're also my crown. My joy and crown. Now in the Greek there was at least two types of crowns that immediately come to your mind. One was one of, of authority and of reign. That's not the crown he's using there. You know, the other type of crown oftentimes used in Scripture is the crown of, of uh, like today, like we think of a, a gold medal where you stand up on the podium and this person is recognized, this person is honored, they won first place, so they are given this medal. Well, in their day and time, it, it was an evergreen wreath that was a crown that was to say, this is the person that is being honored at this moment. Now notice what he's saying. He is saying, you are an honor to me. In other words, Paul is saying, if I could think about things in my life that I believe that with my interaction with you, if I could say that was something that I am so thankful for, this is an honor for me. Paul, list your, list your accomplishments that you would say, these are honors for me. He would say, I would say my relationship with the church at Philippi. That is an honor to me. You know, I... I probably should tell you more often, but almost every week, if not, it won't be more than every two weeks, I will be introduced, just, it happened just Friday night and yesterday morning both. I'm being introduced to speak, and they say my name, but then he talked for probably four or five sentences about the Mount Juliet congregation. And he said some of the highest praise, saying that in his opinion, it's one of the great churches in the brotherhood. And you know what? I can just sit there and I can identify, and I'm not saying I'm like Paul. Please don't. I'm not saying that comparison. I'm saying when Paul looks at Philippi and says, it's an honor to be identified with you. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I am so honored to be able to someone say, I've, I've heard about the Mount Juliet congregation. That's where you preach? Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of them. It's, if, if I were going to list a crown, if I were going to list, hey, here are some honors in my life, let me tell you one of the highest honors that I have in my life. It's being associated and have the opportunity to work with the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. Paul says... You're my beloved, my people I love dearly. I wish I could be with you right now. I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. And then he even calls them beloved again. But now before he gives them that rebuke, we're not stalling here, even though it kind of sounds like Paul's doing it, isn't it? He has one more phrase in verse one that's kind of like the, key that is starting to unlock the door it begins with that word so 
Look at that command there, that command of stability when he says, so stand fast in the Lord. So I have said all of this because I'm about to take you into a journey of some things that we need to talk about. But ultimately what we're going to be talking about can be summarized in this one little thesis statement. Stand fast in the Lord. That would be another way of him saying, be stable. Do you like drama in your life? Don't raise your hand. Because there's probably somebody in here that does. And I just want to say to you, that's not right. Like, I urge you to give a really in-depth study of humility and of harmony and of stability. These are all very strong, biblical, not only teachings, but in that it's supposed to become a part of our life. Where someone who loves God, someone who has the mind of Christ, we're getting to that, someone who has the mind of Christ, you would just say, now look at them because of their relationship with God, because now they think like Christ thinks. Look at the humility in their life. Look at the harmony they have with other people. Look at the stability in their life. And so he's, he's about to address a couple of women that haven't been so stable lately. And he's making the plea to say, will you stand fast? And it's not just a question. Notice it's a command. Does it register to you and I when we read the scriptures today what a commandment is? You know, a commandment is not where God throws something out to say, hey, you can discuss this inside it if you want to apply it in your life. It's not a strong suggestion. This is a commandment. So stand fast in the Lord. What happens when we make that commitment to say, you know what? I'm not going to let the problems in my life dictate me and how I think and what I do. I'm not going to let the unique challenges that I have in relationships in my life and the unique challenges you have in relationships in your life, I'm not going to let those things dictate how I become. Uh, am I going to become somebody real bitter? Am I going to become somebody just drama-filled? I'm always looking for that next thing. No. Well, Paul, what's the answer to this? He says, don't let problems define your life. Don't let the surroundings define your life. Paul, what are we supposed to do? Stand fast in the Lord. What if you handle all the problems in your life as one standing fast in the Lord? What if you handle the challenges in your life as one standing fast in the Lord? In other words, whether or not you are drama-filled or not has more to do about your theology than it has to do about the people in your life that can make it miserable. You can have the proper theology and learn how to deal in a godly way with the people that can make your life difficult. Some of you are in jobs that you deal with a lot of problems and, and you could almost label a lot of drama. But do you let that shape you? Or do you let your theology shape you? You see, that's what he's getting at here. Stand fast in the Lord. Be stable. The Lord was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? Jesus Christ is a perfect example of stability. And He came to an earth that wasn't stable. 
And he came to an earth and he wasn't treated in a very good way a lot of days. He even went to the cross and died. But you know what we learn by his example? Is we learn humility, harmony, and stability. Where does that harmony begin? It begins in our relationship with God. Let's be one with God. And so then, you know how Philippians and all these short epistles that were written to congregations, they were written to congregations and you can imagine, you know, we're, we're not talking about the days of email or photocopy. It would have been one copy that would have been very valuable to them in the sense that it would have been probably at, at the beginning their only copy. And you can imagine them receiving this copy, the elders at Philippi, and they're like, hey, you remember Paul's in prison? Yeah, we've got a letter from him. So today when we come together, uh, he's told us in this letter that it's, an, that it's uh, from God, that, that he's writing as an apostle. And so we're going to study this this morning as we come together to worship. And you can imagine them reading this. And then can you, um, can you imagine being one of these two ladies as it comes to the second verse? I mean, you know, everybody likes a shout out unless it's a shout out like this right here. <clears throat> All right, let's look at the addressing the two women here. We're still in Philippians 4 and he's, he's loved them. He's told them about his love. He's told them about the command to stand fast. And now he says, I implore Euodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Wow. Imagine you sitting in the pew on Sunday morning and imagining that coming out. Well, curiosity is if if he's going to address those two women, who are they and what did they do? We don't know a whole lot about who they are and what they did, but let's go ahead and read the third verse so we can get just a little bit about it. And he says, I urge you also, true companion. So there's one individual that he wants to jump in and help this situation. He says, help these women. And now we learn a little bit more about these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of of life. Let's make some deductions, and some of them may be a little bit on the verge of opinion, but we're just trying to work with what we have here in Scripture. One, we know for sure, he's calling these women to make correction in their life. And number two, we would greatly assume that the correction wasn't doctrinal issues, because if it was, that's oftentimes why Paul wrote was to call out any kind of false teaching and to make correction. And so I believe that if it were doctrinal issues that they were having, he would have very much so addressed it and gave the solution for it. Number three, we see that these must have been women of, of some kind of prominence of influence. You remember that when the Macedonia call came, and he went into that area for the first time, the women were meeting on the riverbank, which tells us that there were not enough faithful Jews in that town to have their own synagogue. And tradition says they only had to have 11 faithful Jewish men to have their own synagogue. And so they, since they didn't have that, it was only a group of women meeting out on the riverbank. And so what we would assume is the church of Philippi in its beginning days, and I know we had the Philippian jailer that was converted in his household, but in the beginning days, there would have been a great influence of these first converts, which would have been women. Maybe it's some of those, but whoever they are, we know this, 
the women that labored in the Lord and in the gospel with Paul. I would suggest to you this. These were probably women that had had a great impact and had done wonderful things in the kingdom. I would suggest to you that this, these two women have been of a big help to Paul in his work. I would suggest to you that these two women probably had great abilities and might even had great other resources to help the kingdom. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Who is it that's most likely to kind of get at odds with each other? Well, a lot of times it's the people that are doing the most. Because you have a particular work that you're involved in and you have a particular way that it's been done for a while and, and then there's a particular work over here and then maybe there seems to be a competition for people. Why is this ministry taking all the people from this ministry? Maybe there was a competition for dollars in the budget. Why, why are you getting the money from the treasure for this and, and why are we getting money like they're getting over there? You know, my mission work is more important than your mission work. My group of people that help me are better than your group of people that help you. You know, my ministry does more in this community than your ministry does in this community. You know, I just do a better job at leading my ministry and working my ministry than you do in your ministry. And on and on, if we're not careful, we lose humility. And when we lose humility, what do we always lose? Harmony. And then what do we lose? Stability. Now we have problems among the people. Now we have drama taking place. Where does it begin? Well, it begins, and notice that phrase there on the screen right now where he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. That's ultimately what he was calling them to have the answer. Notice this. And I think sometimes we say things like this, and I, I, I guess we mean well. I just want to challenge you this morning to realize that it is, can I just call it like it? It's really foolish teachings when we say this. It may be our kids disagreeing. It may be two members in the church disagreeing. And we'll say, well, one of you just needs to get on the other one's page. Mm -mm. That's what's causing this to begin with. What's the answer? Both of you need to get on the mind of Christ page. If you're living your life, truly surrendering your mind to the mind of Christ, and I'm living my life truly surrendering to the mind of Christ, we're going to have humility because that's the only way we can surrender to Christ, and we're going to have harmony because I'm walking in step with Christ and you're walking in step with Christ. Listen, our families, and I know not all of us are in Christian families, and I know this promotes a challenge to this, but look, for just a moment, let me talk to us about those of us that are in Christian families. We're going to go home today, and there's going to be Christians inside our house. You know what rules our harmony if we're doing it right? What rules our harmony is that you got dad surrendering his mind to Christ, you have mom surrendering her mind to Christ, and you have children surrendering their mind to Christ, and that's what leads to the harmony and to the stability. It's not everybody in this family, do it the way I said do it. We're all going to walk in humble harmony with Christ, and that promotes 
the stability. Does that sound familiar? Be of the same mind in the Lord? We just had that read just a few moments ago. Go over, if you will, to Philippians 2. As you're turning to Philippians 2, I just want to show you this pyramid of life that we've looked at several times over the past two years. You notice we sometimes think about actions, and all we talk about is this idea of, oh, we've got these two ladies that aren't getting along with each other. We need to address that. Notice Paul didn't do that. Paul immediately went to the bottom about belief. Hey, what do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that, that, that he is worthy of you surrendering your life to him? If you believe he's worthy surrendering your life to him, now we come out of the next, that bottom layer of belief. Now we come out of the next. Are you going to believe, are you going to have convictions and beliefs about what Jesus says about others? And if so, the behavior of you getting along with each other is going to be great. But if you don't believe the Lord is worthy of surrendering your life to, you're going to have a different view of others. And it's going to lead to a lack of harmony. So when we go to Philippians 2, and I'm, I'm aware of the clock, so we're going to move on here. Look in Philippians 2, uh, 3, 4, and 5. Fulfill my joy. Be what? Like-minded. What is that mind? It's, it's Christ. Having the same love. That would be love found in God. Being of one accord. That'd be unity with God and the Holy Spirit. Of one mind. That'd be the mind of Christ. Let Now, here's some very direct teaching. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition. And also let nothing be done through conceit conceit. But in lowliness of mind, humility, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. On the next slide, I want you to notice I have verse 5 again, and then that's the verses we studied last week. What I want you to see is that last week was the example of this week's text. In other words, when he gave this exact teaching, and then you say, who could do that? What would it look like? He says, look at Jesus. Jesus is a perfect example of all of these things I've just asked you to do. I think, I think, and, and maybe it's, it's not indirect, it's too strong, uh, uh, but I think it's safe to say that Paul had in mind these teachings when we come over here to the fourth chapter, remember it's one, one letter, and he's writing to these two ladies, you say, why didn't he elaborate even more? I think if you ask Paul that, Paul would say, oh, I did elaborate upon how to live with the mind of Christ. I gave you great details back earlier in this very letter. And so here's the details of how are we going to interact with others if we have the mind of Christ. And so now let's go to this next slide. And we have, these are the, the verses that we just read in verse 2, 3, 4. Uh, of Philippians 2, and let's just quickly go over these. Number one, what if we did nothing through selfish ambition? The idea of selfish is self-centered. Ambition is the idea of production. You know, somebody's ambitious, you say, oh, they accomplish a lot in their life. They're really ambitious. Now put these two together. What if your selfishness is what moves you into productivity? Why is it that you really want to lead a ministry? Have you ever wanted to do something in ministry just because you wanted to show somebody how you could do it better than them? Selfish ambition. Have you ever wanted to teach a Bible class just so you could show the former teacher that you could teach it better than them? Selfish ambition. 
Have you ever thought about yourself as a parent and thought, I'm going to show all these other parents that are my friends how I'm a better parent than them? You know, when we say it like this, doesn't it sound so ugly? To think that we would take something as important as being a parent or teaching a Bible class or leading a ministry or being a preacher or just fill in the blank. All the opportunities that God gives us. We would take things so important as that and we would reduce it down to, I want to show you what, what my ambition is, is I want to show you me. That's not what great parenting's about. That's not what teaching the Bible is about. That's not what friendship is about. I want to be a friend with you so I can show you I'm a better friend than you. Do you realize how many people that's really how they live? There's co-workers. Their whole goal every day is I want to show you I'm a better worker than you. But we as Christians, we're taught something different. We're taught that we don't move through life as selfish ambition. And the word conceit means vainglory. It's the idea that you brag about things that you shouldn't be bragging about. And so if, if we have selfish ambition, we're going to brag about who? Ourself. Did you see what I did there? I, oh, I'm not going to say it with my words, but I'm going to make sure through my actions and everything that you saw me. And he says, hey, I want us all, verse 5, this, I want us all to have the mind of Christ. What would the mind of Christ be? You don't let the ambition in your life be selfishness. You don't let the bragging be me. What about if the house you live in, nobody on earth ever knew, ever knew that you lived in it? Would you still want to live in it? What about the car you drive? Nobody on earth ever saw you drive that car. They didn't know you owned it. They didn't. Would you still want that car? How much do you do? How much do you own? How much do you aspire to? And if really your heart was revealed, a lot of the things you want, a lot of things you do, It's because you're ambitious to be able to say, that's where I live. That's how I dress. That's my job and look how many promotions I've had. That's my school and look what rank I am on the team or in the class or how popular I am among friends. Oh, that's vainglory. What if we could use our house to say, I really want to figure out how to use this house to the glory of God. I want to figure out how to use this car to the glory of God. I want to figure out how to use the abilities that God has given me to the glory of God. I want to figure out how to live life with friends I have and my friendship would bring glory to God. I want to figure out how to raise children. And what about if nobody ever says, you're a great parent. What about if we could honestly say, I wasn't shooting for that. I was shooting for us to be able to say, glory be to God. Look at those kids growing toward God. So no selfish ambition, and I know I'm about to turn myself into a liar if I don't speed up here. And so notice it all comes back to the third one there, to lowliness of mind. The only way that lowliness of mind, that humility, would teach us to esteem others better than ourselves. It also teaches in verse four to look out for others' interest. 
we have a lot of interest in life because we live a life that sometimes carries a lot of responsibility. You got bills you have to pay. You have engagements you have to keep. You have relationships you have to maintain. You, you have problems that you have to be working through. You have plans that you're making. You have dreams. We can go on and on about, hey, what's your week look like? What's your, your interest? What's your daily responsibilities? You know what the Lord says? He says, okay, do all those things, but I want you also to make time to share in others' interest also. Do you care about the person sitting around you right now? Do you care about the fact that they got a doctor's appointment this week? Do you care for the fact that they may have some bills that's really hard for them to pay? Do you care for the fact that they may have some relationships that are strained? Do you care for the fact that they have a particular hobby they love or do you only want to talk about your hobby? How oftentimes do we share in each other's interest? Christ was the perfect example of that. Last week we looked at the second chapter, verse 6, 7, and 8, and we realized that Jesus gave up rights in order to serve. We looked at verse 8 and we talked about Jesus gave up his life in order to obey. Jesus was a perfect example of all these characteristics where he didn't live his life in selfish ambition. He didn't live his life in conceit. But instead in lowliness of mind, he truly esteemed others better than himself. He truly took interest in other people's interests. So instead of what I learned today, what I need to ask myself today, I need to ask myself perhaps is my ambition to promote self or to promote others or promote God number two am I conceited or am I lowly of mind number three am I selfishly responsible in other words I only be responsible for myself or do I share and care about others interest also number four do I have the mind of Christ number five I know I don't want to fail do I does anybody here say oh yeah I don't mind failing it doesn't bother me I don't want drama do I I do want harmony, don't I? This morning, God has given us a lesson about how to achieve that harmony and how to find stability, and I hope that we've found it. This topic of humility is beautiful. And the challenge is our flesh works against it. Uh, that selfish ambition, that same Greek word is also found in Galatians 5 and verse 20, the works of the flesh, and there it's translated strife. You see, our flesh works against this humility. And so we have to have the mind of Christ to be spiritual, but if we rely on the flesh, we will become conceited, selfish people. Thank God for his grace and that he's not through working on us. Can we help you in any way? Are you ready to be immersed in Christ or are you ready to be restored? If we can help you, come as we stand.